Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Welcome to Book Talk. Book Talk is a weekly podcast book club. We are on the last section of Rachel Harrison's Cackle. So if you haven't read this book yet, go back, start on episode one, because spoilers about the ending are hitting you in like three seconds. We start this section and Annie goes to get a drink after a rough day and finds out that all of her neighbors and friends are talking about her. This anger allows her to go home and get a little more comfortable with her powers, but she does still text Sam and invite him to see her because she has not gotten fully comfortable with her independence. She does have to tell Sophie and they get in a huge fight, but Annie leaves and sees Sam anyways. He comes over for what she hopes is a rekindling, but ends up being an extremely lackluster evening. She eventually, once Sam leaves, surrenders to the powers and goes back to Sophie, admitting that she was right, and they make up. We get a couple of flash-forward moments, and we get to see Annie happily living in her new life. I can't believe that... I was so wrong. I doubted <laughs> Sophie this entire time and I did not believe her. And turns out I'm the fool. And this is a story about the friends we make along the way towards becoming witches. And Sophie was actually in this for the right reasons. I loved it. I feel like you're probably in the 50% though, because I think it really could have gone either way. I always felt like Sophie was going to be Annie's friend and really had good intentions. But I also feel like that's how I moved through life. And I think that... <laughs> It can be both good and bad to do that, which you have to kind of see things from the point of view that it might not be what you're expecting and it could be way worse. Um, and so I think that both are valid. And I think the way Rachel writes purposely makes you feel like you could question it every step of the way. Definitely agree. I also was surprised a little bit that in this section – there doesn't seem to be like a bigger evil power that doesn't seem to be like a mastermind behind where Annie gets this um, magical abilities from. She's right. just able to do it. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. I don't know a lot about witches or the theory of witches. So like, are they, you know, when people write about them, traditionally, are they controlled by the devil? Is that a thing? Is that like part of the story of witches or is that just, we don't know. I I think that's part of the fear of witches is that they're aligned with darker powers. Yeah. But I mean, I don't really know. I don't know that much about the history of witchcraft other than like the Salem witch trials, which was just like moral panic essentially. And that maybe modern day witchcraft is more like ritual based and connecting with the earth. But I really don't know. Well, we need somebody to, educate us yeah let us know um i think that yes like every like humans normally witches are also flawed so if you can be i think this is what makes you kind of go back and forth she can be controlling she can be annoying she can do all these things but i think she really does love annie um and their sophie's life in her house and just like how grounded and centered and happy she is i'm like okay maybe i should be a witch this sounds great <laughs> Anyways, what did you think of of their huge blowout fight when she tells her that she's going to see Sam again? It definitely is the result of these simmering tensions. So I've recently started listening to Brene Brown's podcast. Oh, 
love her. And and Glennon Doyle's podcast, mm. which they're both lovely. Mm-hmm. They, I can't remember. I think it might have been Brene on Glennon Doyle's podcast who was talking about clear communication and how clarity is compassionate. So to like clearly say that made me uncomfortable or I don't know how to feel about that or I feel that you are resisting my and Sam's relationship, but you need to let me figure that out. Mm-hmm. Could have prevented this type of blowout. But like I'm hugely like conflict averse. So I'm sure I'm much more like Annie where you just keep pushing it to the side and you're like, it's fine. Everything's fine until you finally are like, ah, I've been holding on to this for so long and now I'm going to vomit at you and you're going to vomit at me and we'll just get it over with. I was glad that they had that final talk so that you could see how hurt Sophie was with the way Annie viewed her, which is sort of how I was viewing her, which is like, why do I scare you? What is so wrong with me mm-hmm. that you see me like this evil witch person who you don't trust? Yeah, I was just so proud of Annie in that moment for like actually asking some, actually like throwing some stuff back at Sophie. And not that Annie was fully pleasant. I think she said some things she probably regrets, like calling her a witch outright. But I think that it was the first time that Annie finally got mad enough to say something. And I think people who are conflict averse, I'm not really conflict averse, but I feel like I talk to people who are a lot and I'm always like, I can't wait for you to get mad. I can't wait for this to make you angry enough that you do something about it. Mad enough that you stand up for yourself. And like, I think finally Annie did that. And I was just proud of her for finally getting somewhere with Sophie because that was always going to be a cloud over their friendship if they didn't get on the same page and then move through it. And now that they've moved through it, they're fine. They're going to be fine. But they had to kind of have that, I think, big climactic point where they said what they really thought and then kind of confronted that together. It's really hard for women to access anger, at least for me. I feel like as soon as I start to approach getting angry, I almost immediately switch into being embarrassed about being angry, feeling like my anger is going to harm somebody else. And so I'm already upset that I made somebody else upset or that I could make somebody else upset. It's so, it's always interesting. I always watch men in my life who can just be angry and let it out. Unapologetically angry. Like that's the thing too. I think I can access, like I can get angry and I get upset, but I immediately feel guilty about it. I feel like I need to, like even this week at work, I said something That was like sassier than I meant, but I was upset in the moment. And I think that what I said was valid, but I feel like, you know, was it out of a space of anger? Yes. Immediately. I was like, okay, I need to talk about this. I need to apologize. What am I going to do? Like, how am I going to make this okay? What if that person feels bad about it? They think about it. Like, and if this had been reversed and it had been, as it has been multiple times, like a man saying that, like they just move on. They're unapologetically angry. They unapologetically feel their emotions, which is so interesting. Then I feel like it is so much worse because. Annie, like, she's the same way and she lets it all build up to the point where it is not within her control anymore. She's just mad. And it's not within Sophie's either. They're both, like, I also loved this part. They're both, like, knocking things over and starting these (laughs) huge fires. And they're just, like, their anger and also their powers, like, at the same time are, like, a little out of their control because they're so emotional. I think that fight represents also a turning point for Annie in finding her voice, not just in anger, but also just speaking what she wants and speaking how she's feeling and embracing that. So I like that part. You know, Sophie maybe realized too, like you have to let people kind of make their own mistakes. Like Annie is adamantly defending a decision that we all know is the wrong one. 
Like we're watching her make it. We're like, this isn't it, girl. Do not go back to him. But she's adamantly defending it and she has to do it herself. She has to go there feeling like she's found her voice. But that helped her deal with Sam. She, I mean, she found her voice in that fight with Sophie and she was able to be like, this isn't what I want. You don't appreciate me. You are not what I want. You're not enough for me. Also, he was, ugh. I hated him once we got to know him. I like their banter, but I agree he's not a great boyfriend. I loved this scene where she's slowly realizing, like, what was I so obsessed with this guy over? And it it just reminds me of this way that we have revisionist history or rose-colored glasses when we think about the past, where it's like, oh, I just miss them because they were so great and this was so fun and the times were so good and everything was so easy. And it's like, were they really or were you just imagining that or you just projecting some feeling of lack onto your nostalgia or something Mm -hmm. like it's just so I feel like I do this I do this with memories I do this with food I do this with places I'm like oh well that was the best meal I'd ever had and then you go back and have the exact same meal again and you're like oh it's just like it's just okay unless it's the (laughs) pearl smoked salmon okay yes (laughs) I think everything when you are able to get some emotional distance from whatever it is good or bad you I don't know you're like less attached and you can see it in a better light I feel like so even if you have this kind of tumultuous relationship, you immediately, at least for me, like I block out things that were really, really black, really, really bad. Um, and you kind of just focus on who you were in that moment. But if you like Annie does, she goes back to Sam and she's like, okay, this really is not all I hyped up to be in my head. But sometimes I feel like you do have to go back and prove it to yourself. You know, she's learning to trust herself and that's like a big part of it. And she has changed at this point. She now is not the same person that she was. And so she's realizing like, oh, that made a former version of me happy. Mm -hmm. But I've changed and I now deserve and want something better. I love that for her. I know. I love that for her too. I was surprised at the overall ending because it was in the horror section, which we get into a little bit more detail about that um, in our next section of this pod with Rachel. Um, but I think it was, like I said, a little bit unexpected for both of us. What did you think overall of the book and what is your rating? Do we do this out of five? I always forget. Yes. And you can't be like the 4.372 like you usually do. Oh. <laughs> um, I think I would give this book a four out of five, which is higher than what I thought it would be in the first half. So the first couple, the first two sections of this book, I was not really that into it. I wasn't really rooting for Annie and I didn't get as motivated by the plot as I was expecting. I think the second half of the book is much more interesting when she starts getting these powers. She goes on this awkward date. Things start to like careen out of control with all these what the scenes that I do think borderline on horror, which I did think were really well done and interesting. And the ending was not what I expected, but it was sweet. And I like that. I like the overall message. So that's my overall thoughts. Yeah, it's a good book. Easy to read, approachable, all those things. It is easy to read and approachable. I agree. I agree with that. I think that I would give it a four out of five too. I think she does a really good job of setting the scene. I think the overall message of female friendship and the journey Annie goes on, eventually finding herself in this friendship and their their weekends together too. Like I do think it was just a – it was like good vibes. It was happy. Um, 
to the parts that weren't like terrifying. <laughs> and I think it was, it was like a well-balanced book, like a good cocktail. Well, after the break, we will be joined by Rachel Harrison, the author of Cackle, to talk even more about the themes from this book and what we liked and some of our unanswered questions. Also, remember to pick up your copy of The Perfect Ruin by Shanora Williams. That's our next book club book. So we're going to read that one over four sections alongside you. Um, This is, I think, a little bit more, probably a little bit more fear, scary thrill to it than Cackle did. but also still set in a beautiful scene, which I think is a genre that I really enjoying lately. These like beautiful, comforting, or just glamorous scenes that have these like really dark other sides to them. So this one is set in Miami and we can't wait to get into it with you. Okay. So the perfect ruin is our next book. We are going to start reading the perfect ruin on the 23rd of January. So the first episode will come out on January 30th. Okay. So we'll see you in just a couple of minutes. Uh, We get to talk to Rachel Harrison. My name is Rachel Harrison and I'm the author of the Return and Cackle. I also write short stories. Um, I have three short stories now that are out and available on my website, The Veil, which is available via Audible, and um, Goblin, which is via Electric Lit, and Good Bones, which you can read on Wernica. Very cool. Do you Did you read the one on Audible, or did they have somebody read it? Thank, thank goodness they had a professional actor do it. <laughs> Yeah. You didn't want to do it? (laughs) That's so funny. No, I would much rather have a professional do it and make (laughs) it sound better. And it's really cool to to listen to the audio versions because when I'm when I'm working, I read out loud to myself. So it's it's so surreal to like hear somebody else reading your words and how they bring like different takes to it and Mm -hmm. often do a much better job. But it's like a different – it's a totally different medium, so it's a totally different thing. Um, But, yeah, no way. And, like, they have to be in, like, a booth for hours. Yeah. I would lose – I would lose my mind. It's so many – like, I always forget – my husband reads, like, only audiobooks, so he listens to only audiobooks. And sometimes he'll be like, oh, yeah, this is a short one. It's only eight hours. I'm like, somebody had to record that and probably not all on the first try. So it's, like, just hours of talking. And I don't know about anybody else, but I get really nervous when I'm supposed to read. Like in high school, we would do this thing called popcorn reading where they would have some person read a section and then the teacher would call on somebody else. And it was to make sure you were paying attention. But I would just be sitting there like sweating, being like, please, when are they going to call on me? When are they going to call on me? Same. I'd be like, I'll go first so that I don't have to just sit back and relax after this for a minute. And then I get so nervous. I like start to read and I'm just like, uh, the um, and I just can't. I can't do it. I like forget how. And look, you grew up to be an author. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm much more comfortable writing the words than reading them out loud <laughs> in front of an audience to myself in my own in the comforts of my own home. Sure, I'll talk to myself. But as soon as you put like people in front of me, 
forget it. Like (laughs) I float out of my body. (laughs) So funny. Um, Oh, I'm, I'm starting. Okay. Yeah. All right. I have the first question. (laughs) Okay. Now I'm conscious of like, oh, I'm actually also speaking into a microphone right now. (laughs) Um, Okay. So Cackle, which we just finished, approaches witchcraft and witches from a more positive perspective, similar to Harry Potter, those types of books. But Cackle is distinctly pro-women and feminist almost in the way that Annie is discovering herself as she's discovering her power. I would love to start the discussion by talking about witches in general as a theme of this book. How did you pick witches? Um, How did you settle on that theme? And what appeals to you about having a witch as your main character or two witches? When I started, you know, brainstorming for my second book, I didn't immediately think of witch. Um, It was around my 30th birthday. And so I was thinking a lot about how society treats women as they get older and kind of how a lot of narratives put women into two boxes, either like you're the young ingenue or you're the like old crone who lives in the woods and is alone and evil. And I started to wonder why, like how that narrative came about, like how the classic fairy tale witch came about and how, why, you know, these independent women were considered villains and why a self-sufficient woman was considered something bad. And so that's kind of how I started to think about cackle and witches in a not in kind of wanting to explore the witch trope in a different way but also tell the story about somebody who's just trying to find themselves which I think everyone can relate to and was the book I would want to read and I kind of write for myself (laughs) because as a writer you have to read your work a lot so I wanted to tell a story about somebody who is unsure of themselves who found a way to be comfortable in her own skin because that's something that I need to do. And um, I thought maybe writing the book, I would get closer to that, but I think it's a lifelong journey. And Sophie, well, it doesn't seem like Sophie accepts the label of a witch, but then she has that scene where they're arguing and she embodies the archetype of a witch and says like, is this really how you see me? Which is interesting that you relate that to sort of older women and it's like what are you even looking at that's not who I am you know what's this caricature that you've put me into makes a lot of sense it's funny because it's a it's a witch book but I was very intentional about the fact that the word witch is only used in the book once um and Annie calls Sophie a witch as like an insult and that was important to me because a lot of the book is Annie exploring her own fears. And I think as much as she aspires to be like Sophie, there's still fear of that archetype and how other people are going to see her if she goes down this path. And, you know, if she decides to live differently, if she doesn't, you know, live this, the life that's kind of expected of her where she, you know, gets married and settles down and fulfills this very specific role. If she strays from that, she's worried what other people will think of her. And because she sees that other people are judgmental of Sophie. Um, So 
it was important to me to have Annie kind of use that as an insult towards Sophie and Sophie be like, oh yeah, this is what you think of me and kind of give Annie a little bit of perspective um, moving into the climax of the book, I guess. I loved Sophie. Um, so throughout this book, we were definitely split about Sophie's motivations, though, um, whether she was actually in all this to help Annie. Um, in the end, it seemed that she really did cherish Annie's friendship and she saw something special in her, um, which I did always feel like Sophie had some good intentions, but also that it could go either way. So how did you settle on this ending? And do you ultimately trust that Sophie does truly have Annie's best interests in mind? Yes, I do. I uh, It was intentional that Sophie was going to be, um, that it wasn't going to be cut and dry. I think the root of tension in this book is whether or not we can trust Sophie. And it's because I was playing with that witch trope of, you know, the assumption that witches are evil. And, you know, is Sophie just sweetening up Annie to cook and eat her? Uh, which is like the classic fairy tale. You can't trust the witch. But there's no reason to not trust Sophie other than the fact that she's powerful and self-sufficient. She's not flawless. She can be a little bit possessive. Um, Annie definitely has to learn to set some boundaries with Sophie. But I didn't want Sophie to be so perfect. Like, I want all of my characters to feel like real people, even though you know, Sophie's a fantastical witch. I still wanted her to feel real and have flaws. But just because she's flawed doesn't mean that she's inherently wicked. So it was definitely um, my intention going in to play with that trope and to tease out, like, is Sophie evil? And then in the end be like, no, <laughs> no, she's not. She's like, of, of course she's not. All she's ever been is like, lovely and welcoming to Annie and maybe a little too much, but um, I I wanted it to, to at its core be kind of a hopeful story. Um, and, you know, I like to explore female friendship in my work. So it was important to have a solid female friendship, almost like mentorship in there um, because I don't think that's seen a lot in fiction. Yeah, we were just talking about a book that we read recently that I won't say what it was, but it didn't pass the Bechdel test. And I'm just like, come on, like to never have two female characters speak to each other or to only have them talk about a man just like is not realistic. But at the same time, you know, I my perspective was always very negative about Sophie because I was always waiting for the twist to come like, oh, my God, she's. She's recruit. My theory was that she's recruiting Annie into this like witches MLM where like she gets something. Witches MLM of it. is the word she used. I died. I was like, wait, I what? love that. <laughs> Lula Roe for witches. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, but there is an interest. There's so much there with female friendship. And, you know, we don't talk enough about like how do you establish this types of relationships? How do you express your feelings? How do you express the commitments that you have to each other? How do you explain the love that you have for each other? We just don't have the same, you know, paradigm to follow that we do for romantic relationships. So a lot of it does kind of you feel uncomfortable like, oh, oh, you love me. I love you. Do we hug? Like, I don't know. Where do you kind of put those boundaries for your friendships? So I like that as a theme. 
my first book, The Return, there's a lot of that in The Return. The Return is very much about complex female friendships. I love to write about relationships, and the most fascinating relationships I have are the ones with my friends and the other women in my life. Um, and when I was in high school, I befriended like a bunch of cool older girls. And that was like a really important experience in my life because I, you know, I wasn't confident and I didn't really know who I was and I didn't feel cool. And then I started hanging out with them and they really like took me under their wing. And I got to learn a lot about myself through those relationships. Um, and as I was turning 30, I kind of wished I had those cool older friends still to kind of guide me into the next era of my life. And so a little bit of this relationship in Cackle was born out of that wishful thinking. I feel like it's so sweet that her and Sophie's relationship, but I feel like the whole time we were both questioning it, right? Like, is she, is she being too nice? I think in one podcast, I was like, I don't have any friends who come over and do my dishes. And then I immediately was like, maybe that's on me. Like, maybe that's my fault. Maybe I should have friends who will come do my dishes. <laughs> but it is like she is she takes care of Annie and sometimes she is like possessive and a little bit controlling. But I'm glad that in the end, this like cozy friendship she created where they're like cooking together and spending weekends together and they like cherish each other was true. And Sophie and like was something Annie can like rely on. So I'm glad that that I was happy that that ended up being, you know, what was real about it. Yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking, I wonder if, like, this were a romance novel. We thought about that, too. <laughs> and, like, and, like, the Sophie character was, like, a burly man, like a handsome stranger, like a Beauty mm -hmm. and the Beast situation. If you would trust him more or less. I don't know. I'm right. just using. No, I think <laughs> yeah. it is interesting because I – I feel like I did question because it wasn't a romantic relationship. You know, there aren't these like clear, I don't know what Sophie wants. Does she just want to be my friend? Is this what, you know, is this what female friendship looks like for this type of like mentorship friendship? I feel like there is more, I feel like if it was a man in this book, I would be more confident and be like, I know what this person wants, good or bad. I feel like I would be yeah. able to decide. And because it's this female friendship, it's much, much more of a gray area because we don't talk that intentionally about our friendships like we do our relationships yep so yeah. interesting it's also i like how annie learns how she deserves to be treated through sophie because then when sam comes back she's like what did you pick that up on your way over here like you didn't make me handmade jam or like yeah. you know <laughs> like how much thought did you really put into it but we do learn that from our female friendships like what does it really mean to be thoughtful and to be taken care of and to be seen and then you can apply that into your romantic relationships. Yeah, definitely. And I, one of – so Sophie is like nothing like me because she's way cooler. But one aspect of Sophie that was me working out my own stuff um, was I, I have gotten myself into a, a lot of trouble by being the, um, the dump him friend who's always like, dump him. Like, this is not working. Break up with him. Leave. And then if they don't, it's not good for Rachel, who is just outspoken about all the reasons why you should not be with this person. Um, and so there's a little bit of me working out that in that character where she's like, uh-uh, give me your phone. Like, you're not talking to him. It's bad. 
whereas Annie really needed to figure that out on her own. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's one thing that was a little bit personal for me to be like, you know, Sophie needs boundaries <laughs> and I need boundaries. <laughs> my friends need to be like, I'll figure it out on my own. Eventually, I, they will dump him and I need to trust that. But I'm not doing anyone any favors by interfering in people's lives too much. I feel that. <laughs> We've all learned that lesson, I think. I'm still learning that lesson, but yes, agreed. Okay, so this is in line with my MLM comment. Um, one of the things I expected in the novel is that there would be a cost associated with the powers. So Annie would have to give something up in order to have access to this type of magic. Um, in an intense scene towards the end, Sophie transforms into the character caricature of the witch. And that's when she asks, is this really how you see me? And this suggests that the ultimate cost for powerful women is really the fear and suspicion that arises in other people around them. Is this what you meant by she has to surrender everything to get everything? Or is there more to that refrain to you? I think there's kind of many factors to it. I think, yes, having to let go of how other people will perceive her. But also, I know for me, I had a very specific vision of how I thought my life would go. And I held on to it for a long time. And I was unhappy because I was clinging to something my life wasn't instead of appreciating it for what it was. And I think a lot of people in their 20s kind of brush up against this. Um, and I think for Annie, she saw herself with Sam. She saw her value being tied up in being in a romantic relationship and her self-worth tied to Sam. And I think she needed to completely give up everything of what she thought her life was going to be, every notion she had, every unhealthy relationship, and just if she wanted to be happy, she had to let that all go. And so for me personally, I was looking at it like, if you want to move on, you have to let go of what you thought your life was going to look like or who you thought you were going to be and just embrace what is in front of you. And so that was really what the surrender everything for everything. It wasn't so much a cost um, because, again, I kind of wanted to subvert the witch trope where it wasn't going to be like, well, you have to like sell your voice to the sea witch. It's just you have to do this work on yourself and grow, have that personal growth to achieve the best version of yourself, which now that I'm talking, I sound like an MLM lady. <laughs> achieve the best version of yourself. But really, that's kind of what it boils down to was just subverting the, subverting the witch trope and kind of having it more on, on a metaphorical level being like, if if Annie's going to have her happy ending, she needs to, like, let go of what she thought her happy ending was. I mean, she didn't have to sell her soul. And I feel like you have to do that to get into yeah. the MLM. So I feel like, yeah. you know, it's okay. <laughs> Sophie wasn't like, okay, so it's a $1,000 cost. Yes. You will recoup <laughs> it and plus a 1000 more, okay? Just give me everything you own. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, God. <laughs> 
I love that. We, um, Katie and I joke about how this is a book podcast, but it's masquerading. It's like the cover story for what is actually a self-help podcast because we're always like, you have to unlearn these things about yourself and this is a bigger metaphor for life. But that's what fiction books really are. I don't know. To me, the good ones anyway. I agree. Lots of readers on Goodreads have complained that this book is miscategorized as horror. I wasn't complaining, but I was surprised when I bought it in person and I looked in fiction and then the guy at the bookstore was like, well, it's not in fiction, it's in horror. And I was like, well, I don't go there, but I'll we'll venture back now. <laughs> um, but there are some intense scenes that border on that level of dark. What do you think about horror as a genre of fiction? Um, were you deliberately trying to play into that or stay away from it? How do you feel about this in general? Um, so I consider myself a horror writer. Uh, the Return, which was my first book, is definitely horror. Um, and I consider cackle horror as well. But I also recognize that cackle doesn't sit as neatly in the genre. There's there's the dark scenes. There's scary moments. But because of who Annie is as a character and because it's a first-person narrator, she reacts with humor as her coping mechanism. So it kind of takes the edge off of the ghost encounters because she's not reacting from a place of like, it'd be different if she was chilled to the bone, but she's kind of just like, yeah. eh, a ghost. Like she, that's how she's she unfazed. reacts to things. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she's, she, well, I think she's phased, but she's just like kind of, she, this is like a personal thing for me too. And I know a lot of people like this when they don't know how to react to something, they default to humor. And I think, that's something that she does and it's like a defense mechanism where she's very self-deprecating and everything happening she doesn't know how to react to and she's kind of like I consider her like a millennial Kathy comic um, where she's just like act like I don't know what's happening um so I I can get why people might might say that but I also think you know horror is so subjective and what what's scares someone is so personal um that it's hard to you know is what makes a horror book a horror book is it because it scares you but if if it scares you it might not scare someone else so um I I do think it's horror and I love the horror genre and I'm grateful to continue to get to play in the genre and I think there's room for all kinds of horror books from the ones that like haunt your dreams to the ones that make you laugh and give you hope. I think it's a broad genre and um, yeah, I love it. I, I, and I do consider myself a horror writer. Um, And I think it's hard with genres because how you categorize a book can, can shape how, what someone expects to get out of it. I know for the return um, it's a lot of people, it was kind of marked as a thriller and there's a missing girl, but it's actually like a supernatural horror book. So if you were going into it expecting like a gone girl, it's going to be a different experience than what you thought. So it, it's tricky because I understand the need for genres and categories, but um, I, I kind of write in the space between them. So I just kind of have to accept that I'm always going to be, <laughs> I'm not going to be sit squarely in, in one place or the other. And it, it might be tricky for readers to to understand what they're getting themselves into. Well, now that you've said it's impossible to define, um, how would you define like what categorizes a horror book? This would be the first book that we've read 
um, on the podcast that would be a horror book. So like what constitutes a horror book and why do you love the horror genre? I think dark elements and um, I just think an an exploration through darkness, like telling a story through the lens of darkness. I think for me, that's kind of how I define it, but somebody else might define it you know, as like a slasher, lots of blood and gore. So I think it's personal to everybody. And it's hard because you you could say like, well, it, it's scary. But again, what's scary is so personal. But so I don't really have a <laughs> – I wish I had the answer to like what um, what it was. To me, I'm exploring – stories with using these dark themes and these dark settings and um in the return it's supernatural and scary and in cackle it's you know I'm I'm going through witches but it's not it's it's lighter in tone but the witches like there's still danger and there's still supernatural um so yeah I'm I know where this is going and this is going to be me rambling. <laughs> I don't have um, a great answer. I thought that was a good I, answer, though. I think it could be either. <laughs> it makes me feel like I could read more books in the horror genre and maybe I don't know what I'm expecting. Oh, and that oh is my like, gosh. maybe that's good. I yes. Mean, you know? I think, well, it's, I often describe my relationship with horror as like a rom-com where when I was younger – I was really fascinated by it, but I'm scared very easily. So I thought I didn't like it, but I would like always like look at it, look at horror books in the library and, and things like that. And I didn't like, it was like my childhood friend that I didn't realize I was in love with until I was older. And then I was like, we're meant to be together. Like, actually, (laughs) I love you. Um, I think horror can be intimidating because you know, if you have something in that genre that scared you, you don't want to like, and or had an un- unpleasant experience with, you know, well, I was traumatized by Pennywise as a kid. You might not want to be eager to dive back into horror, but there's a lot of really exciting things happening in horror right now. And that's why I think the genre is pretty broad where it's not just slashers there but there are like um Stephen Graham Jones uh and Grady Hendrix kind of bringing like new twists to slashers and um modernizing them and there's also a lot of like dark fantasy the year of the witching by uh, Alexis Henderson there's there's something for everyone in the genre and it doesn't necessarily you can enjoy a horror book even if it's not going to like terrify you or yeah you can enjoy a horror book even if it does just terrify you and that's all you take away from it is just like oh my gosh that moment was so terrifying and now I'm gonna have nightmares about it I think there's a lot to get out of it and a lot of different experiences to have I can at least relate because I like scary movies. I don't think Katie likes scary movies. No, I don't really like scary things. (laughs) But I will say what's funny about this conversation is I feel like 
I I do like thrillers. I grew up reading a lot of like my dad's books, so a lot of like John Grisham or which is I don't know, it's like a law book. I'm just thinking about the one Lee Brown maybe. I feel like there were some like murder mystery ones in here. James Patterson, I don't know. Like these authors who wrote these books that had like at least a lot of like murder and things in them. So I like a thriller and I like some of these parts. I feel like books we've read, at least maybe not on the pod, but separately could definitely be categorized in the what you just said horror was. So I'm like maybe I have read them. Sometimes Again, like what somebody can read a book and be like, this was terrifying. It's the scariest book I've ever read. And somebody will be like, that didn't scare me. So there's some variety in what you're going to get. If you, if the, if you like see a book getting a lot of buzz and the, it sounds interesting to you and it's in the horror genre, I mean. I mean, there's also, there's a lot of like what we would consider dark books or like books that have darker material in them that are like marketed as just like women's fiction like we just read Verity by Colleen Hoover and like that yeah. is some of the scenes in that book are so dark that they aren't what I would say like boo scares or like yeah. what is happening scares but that's like a those are images that like get stuck in your head and can like really kind of mess with you so it's also funny how some stuff gets put in a bucket and that's what I'm saying I feel like I've read horror books but they're not in the horror genre that are creepier than it's just, it's interesting. Like, yes, I feel like Verity had some really creepy scenes and I can think of, I can't remember the name. It's like two girls down. Both of them were in fiction. Both of them, I feel like were creepier than, than cackle. So I'm like, or at least to me, it's scarier or creepier. So it's very interesting. We, I saw on your website that there is a book forthcoming or in progress called such sharp teeth. Can you tell us anything about that? And am I correct in assuming that this is maybe about vampires? Um, Close. (laughs) It's a werewolf book. It's a lady werewolf book. Um, It comes out October 4th. Um, It's available for pre-order now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The description is up on the uh, Penguin Random House website. Um, So yeah, it's a lady werewolf book coming out. In time Ooh, for spooky season. Maybe our spooky season read. I love that. Love a creepy read in October. That's like perfect timing. What else are you reading right now that you want to books you've loved recently or books you want to recommend to people listening, or just anything you're reading? So I'm currently reading Last House on Needless Street. Like I want to say it's Katrina Ward. <laughs> I'm probably pronouncing her name wrong. Um, and that got a lot of buzz in the horror community and. Uh, it's fantastic. It's really, really good. Um, very different. And uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And I definitely recommend it. And it's Perfect. not too scary. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. Um, okay. Well, that is all of our questions. So thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to reading Such Sharp Teeth. Yes. It was so nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you guys. I feel like I was dreading talk talk today because I didn't finish any books yet and I you have finished three other books besides cackle so I'm yeah, really I feeling have. I'm so sorry I know I'm, I'm so feeling sorry. like what is your goal 150 like I am just like there's no way I can keep up with her <laughs> I was also doing my 
monthly deep cleaning. And I was like, whoo, well, then next, you know, in February, I'll do this and this. And I was like, wait, it's the 9th. It is so early in January. Right. But to be fair, I had started two of these books in December. And the third book was really just I couldn't put it down. Was it good? Yeah. Okay. So let me do this in order. Because I think I started talking about these books on last week's episode. You did. The Odessa whatever books, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I finished Otessa Moshfeg's Death in Her Hands, which is about this elderly woman who finds a note describing a dead body and some kind of interesting riddle. And she sort of just spirals out from there. I appreciate what the book was trying to do. Like, I understand it from an intellectual place, but I don't think I liked it. <laughs> it's not a fun one to read. It's this woman who's gen- like genuinely spiraling and completely isolated, and it is not fun to be in that headspace. Yeah, I think that's what you were saying last week. It's just like, and I compared it to Milk Fed, where you're, I just like, I don't want to be inside your head. I appreciate this perspective, but I don't want it. <laughs> Thank you so much. But it doesn't, I mean, Milk Fed at least had like a lot of plot going on. There were other characters. Like this woman is pretty much completely isolated and like going insane. And so the interactions with she ha- that she has with other people are very strange. And you just don't trust that she's even telling you the truth about what they said or what happened because she's losing it and it just gets worse and worse for her. So it's very insular, which again, I appreciate that as a position for a novel to take. Like let's explore what happens when you're isolated and alone and something unexplainable like disrupts your routine, but it's hard to read. And I don't think it's for everybody. That's fair. Okay. The second book that I finished was Alice, which is this collection of letters about a sex worker in like the gold rush time. I liked it. I thought it was sweet. It was heartbreaking and it's like loosely based on reality or it is real. We don't really know. So that part was interesting. I think it's a nice like mix of history and editorializing. Interesting. Um, Okay. So now the third book that I haven't talked about yet was We Were Never Here by Andrea Bartz. I've never read anything by Andrea Bartz. But this was essentially about two friends who are on vacation and something happens that leads to them killing a man in self-defense. They sort of get away with it, but then they're on vacation like a year later and it happens again. What? (laughs) And that's like the setup. Like, you know that that is that's like on the back of the book. Like that's sort of the and it happens very quickly, like the fourth chapter And then from there, it's just like, oh, my God, what is going to happen? The tension is just like building and building and building and building. And there's a lot of times where you think, oh, this is when it's going to come to a head. Like the the two friends go to a lake house and are secluded with each other at one point. And you're like, "Okay, here we go. But she keeps like pulling it back. Um, (laughs) So I literally couldn't put it down like 15 pages from the end new things are happening in the plot and I was just like are you fucking kidding me how is she doing this and was it good did you feel like the ending was good the ending was conclusive I didn't like the ending okay so I will not say anything else because I'm going to bring you this book to read yourself and then we can talk about it because I I also don't want to spoil it but the end it definitely says exactly what happens and wraps it all up 
Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely a page turner if you're in a book slump. I literally couldn't put it down. <laughs> okay. I'm excited to read it. Can't wait. I don't think I'll read the first two, but I'm excited. Maybe Alice's. Number three. Alice, yeah. I'll read number three. Um, I'm like 85%. I just looked at my Kindle right before this. I do like that it tells you what percent you're done. So I'm like 85% done with the power. Loving it. I'm like telling everybody about it. Um, I am reading Carnegie's Maid, which is a historical fiction book by Marie Benedict, which I've read some of her books before. So this is um, set in the 1860s at the dawn of the Carnegie Empire. Um, this Irish immigrant comes to America and basically lies her way into a job um, and then in Andrew Carnegie's house. And so she eventually falls in love with him. Um, and then it's basically the story of this woman who, as Goodreads says, may have spurred Andrew Carnegie's transformation from ruthless industrialist into the world's first true philanthropist. Um, so a lot of her books are like based loosely on historical fiction. So it's really interesting so far. I really love this main character. She is like, she just kind of like lies and she's like, well, I'll either figure it out or I won't. And she <laughs> just like gets herself in these situations. But um, yeah, it's really good so far. And it's like always interesting to read about like ultra wealthy, like royal people, I feel like. So I'm um, enjoying that as my before book bed, before bed book. I do that every week. I don't understand. <laughs> and then I'm also like 10% into Under the Whispering Door. So I feel like by next week, hopefully I'll be able to update y'all with um, finishing three books and then, like 20% done with two of them and 80 with another right so we should be good and then well, we won't even we're not even recording so you got like two weeks oh, to yeah yeah also catch up. I wanted to ask you too did you read green lights by Matthew McConaughey yeah yeah I did Jason read it and loved it and then his brother also read it and loved it and I feel like they have like opposite political leanings and both like got something out of this book and so then and then I remember you like like read it and did not hate it either and I was like this is so interesting these two people who are like very very different liked this book so now I want to read it and Jason and Trent want to be on the pod and I was like okay I will uh, bring that to consultation <laughs> um we'll it. have to see I don't think there's like a lot of deep themes to okay. that book because it's sort of like Matthew McConaughey is just like whatever he's just like a good time he's just here to have a good okay, time I'm gonna read it I'm gonna read it he's like uh you gotta read it like in his with his voice playing in your head as you read it well Jason did um, the audiobook and he narrates it yeah of course he does yeah I love that I think I might he have was to narrating actually... it in my head I just it's so clearly like you can he just like went into like a manic episode and wrote this I'm sure in like a weekend and you could just tell it's like straight from his brain okay I can't wait to read it I might be I might listen to an audiobook which I don't I don't listen to audiobooks but I feel like I might want to listen to Matthew McConaughey's audiobook. I love his voice I know all right have a good week talk to you in a couple minutes two weeks oh okay <clears throat> well <laughs> Bye. Talk to you soon. <laughs>talk is made by me erica bailey and katie cheney with production support from dan white our theme music is by dan white we'll see you next week 